0: Um, this morning I want to do something a little little different. Um, I want to talk to you, uh, about uh, God's plan for this earth, and God's plan for man. Uh, we're going to start out in the book of Jeremiah. So if you turn to the book of Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter, Jeremiah chapter 32, and, um, and I want you to keep your Bibles handy and be ready because we're going to turn to a number of different passages this morning. And, uh, and at the end, I want to tie it all together. I think it'll be a blessing and encouragement. I hope that'll be the case. But uh, Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah prophesied to both Judah and Israel. He uh, was unique in that way. The message went to both, both nations. Uh, Many of the prophets, the minor prophets in particular, uh, prophesied to either Judah or Israel. But with Jeremiah, it was both. He took care of, or he he communicated with both of them. And he was the prophet that foretold Israel and Judah going into captivity uh, by the Chaldeans. And so we're going to begin reading at verse number one of chapter 32. And this is kind of an introduction to what uh, Jeremiah is going to say beginning in verse number six. He's explaining what has happened thus far. Um, and Jeremiah is in prison as he writes this. And he explains the reason for that as well. So Jeremiah 32, beginning in verse number one. The Bible says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of, of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. Now let me, let me explain something here. The, the uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans were invading Judah. But it wasn't them who took Jeremiah prisoner. It was Judah. It was the king of Judah who was not happy with the prophecy that he was giving. So, verse number three, it says, For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, the king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him mouth to mouth, and his eyes shall behold his eyes. And he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there shall he be until I visit him, saith the Lord, though the fight with the Chaldeans, ye shall not prosper. Though ye fight with the Chaldeans, ye shall not prosper. So so what's Zedekiah saying to Jeremiah is, who do you think you are? How dare you come to me and tell me that the Chaldeans are going to come and invade us and take control of us and we're going to be in, in captivity to them? How, how dare you? Who do you think you are? He's And so he puts him in prison. Now, look, at, beginning in verse number 6, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, The son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is thine. And the redemption is thine; buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Now it's important to understand that Jeremiah was on his way to the to to, to the land of Benjamin to buy the property. At the time, we know that from uh, Jeremiah thirty-eight, and uh, so, but he gets he gets interrupted, and Zedekiah puts him in prison. And so the Lord sends Hanemiel to come to him, to let him do that, to make that transaction, to buy the property. Now you have to understand that in the Old Testament, everything revolved around the property that the Jews owned. The Jewish nation, Israel and Judah, both were looking forward to the time when they would have complete possession of the land that God had promised to Abraham back in the book of Genesis. And then he promised it also to Isaac and Jacob. And, uh, and, and it, and, and every prophet, every prophet, when they give their prophecy concerning either Israel or Judah, they always relate the prophecy to their possession of the land that God had promised them. The Jews in the Old Testament Their understanding of the coming of Messiah had to do not with him dying to redeem them from their sins, but from him coming to set up his kingdom so that they would then possess the land that God had promised them. That's that's what they were focused on. That was their, their perception of God's dealing with them. And owning property and maintaining the rights to the property that you own, was very important to them. So, Hanamiel came to Jeremiah, and he says to him, again, verse number seven, he says, the right of redemption is thine to buy it. And then he goes on, in verse number eight, he says, for the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So, Hanamiel comes And says, buy this property. This is yours. It's part of your inheritance. It's your right to have it. Let's get this settled. Because we're going into captivity. And so, verse number 9. The Bible says, Jeremiah says, And I bought the field of Hadamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth. And weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it, and took witnesses, and weighed him the money in the balances. Now, notice what Jeremiah says he did. I gave him the money to purchase it. Then, I subscribed the evidence. Subscribing the evidence had to do with drawing up the legal document that gave him the right to that land. It was, in effect, the same thing as what happens with us when we buy a piece of property and we execute the legal document that says that the title is going to be in my name. That's exactly what was going on here. So Jeremiah was buying the property and he subscribed the evidence. He drew up the legal document and then he sealed it and he took witnesses. There were people who saw what was going on? He made sure that that land was going to be in his possession for years to come. That was, that was what was going on here. Look at verse, verse number 11. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. and I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Barak, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanameel, my uncle's son, And in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Barak before them saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessels that they may continue many days." For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. So he says, okay, I've done what God says. I've bought the land. We've got the document. I've given it to Barak. He's put it in the earthen vessel so it will be preserved for future generations. Now, Jeremiah is confused, however. He knows that God's going to punish Israel. Because of their sin, and the result is they're going to go into captivity. The Chaldeans and the Babylonians—they're going to take possession of their land, and they're going to—they're going to—they're going to take them into captivity. And Jeremiah is saying, "Lord, why do I need to buy property when we're going into to captivity?" Look at uh, beginning in verse number, uh, verse number twenty uh let's say let's let's skip down to verse number twenty three this in 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 um, uh, earlier they' they're talking about the the uh what is what has happened and and Israel's failure to obey the lord but look at verse twenty three it says they came in and possessed it they possessed the land temporarily, but they obeyed not thy voice neither walked in thy law They have done nothing of all that thou commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Behold the mounts, they are come unto the city to take it. And the city is even into the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it. Because of the sword and of the famine and of the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken has come to pass. And behold thou seest it. What you said was going to happen, the, the, the captivity has come to pass. But look at verse 25. All of this has happened, Jeremiah says. And, but thou said to me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for money and take witnesses, for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. What good does it do me to purchase land that the Chaldeans have control of now? And it looks like the, for, the, for the foreseeable future, that's going to be the case. And the Lord explains to him that. That's not going to be the case forever. Look at verse number thirty six of chapter thirty-two. And now therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, concerning the city, whereof ye say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, and by the famine, and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I've driven them in mine anger and in my fury, and in great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, that they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. So God says the captivity is going to be temporary. It's not a permanent thing. And and, and you're going to get possession of this land back again. But here's the thing, for Jeremiah to get possession of the land that is his, he has to have that title deed. He is the only one that can claim that and open it and it becomes his land because he was the one that had purchased it. He was the one that drew up the document. He was the one that sealed it. He is the only one that has the right You go back to to, to verse 6, the right of redemption is thine to buy it, for the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. He's the only one that has the right to open that seal and to claim that land, because he's the one that purchased it to begin with. Now look on over, verse 42. God says, And fields shall be bought in this land, whereof ye say it is desolate without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Men shall buy fields for money, and subscribe evidences, and sell them, seal them, and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, and in the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, and in the cities of the mountains, and in the cities of the valley, and the cities of the south, for I will cause their captivity to return. Then we come to Jeremiah 33, and you're very familiar with this passage. Jeremiah 33, beginning in verse number one, moreover the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was shut up in the court of the prison. Saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it, to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That promise is tied to what's going on here. In other words, God will show them great and mighty things when the time comes that they're going to take that land back. And that they're going to inhabit that land. Now here's, look look down at verse number 7. let's let's look at verse 4. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city, concerning the houses of the kings of Judah, which are thrown down by the mounts and by the sword, they come to fight with the Chaldeans, but it is to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I have slain in mine anger and in my fury, and for all whose wickedness I have hid my face from this city. Behold, I will bring it health and cure, I will cure them and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. And look at verse 7. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and will build them, look at the next four words, as at the first. In other words, God's saying the time of captivity is going to be over and everything is going to return to the way it was meant to be at the beginning. Look at verse number 12. Thus saith the Lord of hosts again in this place which is desolate, without man and without beast, and all all the cities thereof shall be an habitation of shepherds, causing the flocks to lie down. In the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the vale, in the cities of the south, and in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, shall the flocks pass again under the hands of him that telleth them, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. So the point is, Israel and Judah sinned. God had given them the land that flowed with milk and honey. But Israel and Judah did not do what they were supposed to do. They disobeyed the Lord. They ignored His commandments. They did their own thing. And God said, okay, You are going to be taken into captivity, and it will be that way for a while. However, there's coming a day when I'm going to remove the captivity. You're going to be set free. You're going to be back in the land that I promised you, and when you get there, we're going to start it all over again like it was at the beginning, and everything is going to be be wonderful. Now, that story, that brief story in the middle of the book of Jeremiah is a microcosm of what this book teaches about everything, from beginning to end. And I want to take just a few minutes this morning and tie it all together and show you how what happened in Jeremiah's day is exactly what's going on right now. So go back to the book of Genesis, if you would. Genesis chapter 3. Start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Very familiar with this passage as well. The Lord had created the heavens and the earth, and he had made them perfect. Remember, over and over again during the creation, we'll take time to read it, but the evening and the morning were the first day, and and everything that God had done, he said it was very good. It was perfect. It was exactly the way God intended for it to be. And then after all of that, God made man and put him in the garden, and, and gave him the responsibility to tend the garden, and uh, but but he was alone, and so he said, "I need to make uh, uh, someone to be a a mate to him, a helper." And so he made Eve, and everything was was wonderful. We don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden before they sinned. We don't know how long. We kind of we read it, and it looks like it happened very quickly. We really don't know how long they were in the garden. The Bible says that they were permitted to eat of every tree of the garden, and the, uh, of the fruit of every tree of the garden, with the exception of one, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What other tree, what other important tree was in the garden at that time? It was the tree of life. The tree of life. And you remember when, when they sinned, God put them out of the garden, put guardians at the at the entrance of the garden, and said, lest they Go in and eat of the tree of life and live forever. Now, here's the, here's the question, and I think, I think the, the Scripture is very, very clear with the answer. We'll get to it in a moment. But do you believe that during the time, however long it was, between the time they were created and put in the garden and the time they sinned, is it conceivable? Can you, can you think of a reason why, if they could eat of every tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? they would not have written already of the tree of life? Well, I believe they probably did. I believe they needed to have access to that tree to continue to live. If you go to the book of Revelation, and we'll get there in a moment, but the book of Revelation, the New Jerusalem, there's a river that flows out of the throne of God, a river of life. And the Bible says that growing on either side of the river is a tree. What tree is that? It's the tree of life. And the Bible says that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. There's 12 manner of fruit on the tree. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. This is after everything has been restored. And so people were going to need to eat of that tree to be able to live forever. The human segment of those who go into eternity. God's going to put everything back the way he intended it at the beginning. I'm getting ahead of myself. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve fell. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did, they gained knowledge of good and evil. And they four, four things happened when Adam and Eve fell. Number one, they lost their innocence. They no longer were innocent before God. They they now they were they had sin. They were guilty, and they were liable. They were responsible for paying for their sin. They lost the innocence that they had. They lost the 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 freedom from punishment for wrong because they did wrong, and they they became they became guilty before God. They gained condemnation, and they gained the punishment of their sin. Second thing that happened, not only did they lose their innocence, they lost their relationship with the Lord. Uh, Look in chapter 3 and uh, and verse number 8. This is right after they sinned. The Bible says, "...and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden." They were, were familiar, and it was common, obviously, for the Lord to just walk in the garden, and they were there, and they heard him walking in the garden. They heard his voice, and they said, "Oh my, we can't, we can't, we can't, you know, meet with the Lord right now." I mean, we 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 just obeyed him, and so they hid themselves. Second thing was ha- that happened was they lost that close relationship with the Lord. Their sin became a barrier between them and God. So they did not have an opportunity to to fellowship with Him. There was a third thing that happened and that was they died spiritually. They lost the spiritual life that they had. And then there's a fourth thing that happened. All of creation All of creation, everything that God had created, fell into captivity. It became captive to Satan and to sin. Who is it that controls the world system right now? The prince of the power of the air. You know who that is? That's Satan. He's in control of what goes on in our society. That's why everything is like it is. He's the one that's in control. God is sovereign. There's no doubt about that. God's in control of everything. But at this point, creation, God's creation, is under the influence and the authority of Satan. He's the one that that kind of maneuvers things and manipulates things. That's why things are like they are. The Bible says that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree... A man fell, that all of a sudden the earth began to produce thorns and thistles. Can you imagine what it must have been like to live in the Garden of Eden? I um, I recently spent money trying to get my yard to look decent again. I'm, I'm a master gardener when it comes to weeds. They grow for me, and I don't do anything to make them grow. I don't have to fertilize them or anything. I just let them be, and they say, boy, we like him so much. We're going to, you know, the, the weeds do great. That's because the earth fell. Because the earth became a slave to sin, just like man has. And And so we struggle to get things to work the way they're supposed to. You know the other battle I have. I, not, not only with the, with the, you know, it's. I, I, I doubt they had any 104 degree days in the Garden of Eden. Never got hot. Never got cold. They never got too much rain. They never had had a flood in the Garden of Eden. There was never a situation where. Uh, where thorns grew up and overtook a plan or whatever. Everything was lush and everything was perfect. There was was nothing that created a problem or a hindrance in the environment where Adam and Eve lived before they sinned. But because they sinned, the world became captive. The, The creation became captive. And we struggle with it now. The coronavirus thing we're dealing with, because of what happened with Adam and Eve when the world became captive to sin. All of the, all of the violence because man fell into sin. Every bit of it. It's all. We, we live with it now. Now I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7. Paul is writing here, and he's talking about the battle that he has. Paul was, you know, if, if, if you were to if, if we were to ask you, who who do you believe was the, the greatest Christian that ever lived? I'm sure there were several, there'd be several in here who would say the Apostle Paul. But you know what? The Apostle Paul had the same battles that we have. I was was never so encouraged, and this may sound bad, but I was never so encouraged as I was when I read this passage and I realized that Paul dealt with the same things that I was dealing with. In Romans chapter 7, and verse number 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Then he says this, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. You ever do anything you hate? You ever do something and you and you feel so bad afterwards? Why? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I think that? What's going on with me? I'm I'm a believer. I'm supposed to be. I love the Lord. I'm supposed to be doing right things all the time. And I used to beat myself up over the fact that I kept failing. I would, I would go for, forward in a service and, and make a commitment to correct something that I had a problem with, and then the next day or the next week or whatever, I'd find myself in the same with the same battle again, and I and I'd think there's something wrong with me because I'm supposed to be getting victory over this stuff. But Paul said, you know what? That which I do, I allow not what I would. That do I not, and what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which is. I would not I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then is it no more it is no more I that do it but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing: for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not and Uh, It's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He goes on, and in verse number 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know why that is? You know why Paul had that battle? You know why I had that battle? Because our redemption is not complete. It's not finished yet. When Jesus died on the cross, and I put my trust in him, three things happened. Number one, I regained my righteous standing. Not because of what I had done, but because of what Jesus did. When Jesus sat on the cross, when I trusted him, Jesus sat on the cross, he took my sin. When I trusted him, he gave me his righteousness. And I regained at that moment what Adam and Eve lost, their innocence. I regained it. I became righteous before God that's uh, uh, that's redemption but it's not the full redemption I also regain my relationship with the Lord because my sin was gone away and I'm I'm righteous before God I have a clear line of communication with him now I can I can talk to him and and I have a personal relationship with the Lord it's it's not in a physical sense but in a spiritual sense. I'm back where Adam and Eve were before they sinned in the garden, when he was walking with them in the garden. And the third thing that happened was I was given spiritual life that I that, that was gone. In other words, that's regeneration. I've been quickened, made alive in Christ. But that fourth thing, the captivity, is still there. The captivity to sin is still there because of my flesh. And because of this world, and that's what Paul is talking about. I still got my flesh, and it is a battle for me. And I, 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 my, my flesh is subject to sin, and I end up doing things I shouldn't do. Now look in chapter eight of Romans, down in verse eighteen. Paul says, "For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared." with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. That word creature, it, the same word that is, that is used in verse number 22. For we know that the whole creation groweth in... It's the aggregate, the aggregate uh, um, substance of all creation. It's everything it's that which is now in captivity so the earnest expectation of creation the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of god for the creature creation was made subject to vanity not willingly but for a reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope because the creature creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of god for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, what? The redemption of our body. You understand that all of creation is groaning and travailing and crying out in anguish. Lord, when is redemption coming? That's what we feel. That's what I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that, that, that final step of redemption. And that's going to be a wonderful day. So just as in Jeremiah's day, because of the sin of Israel, they went into captivity. All of creation, because of Adam and Eve's sin, went into captivity back in the beginning. But when the captivity was over, Jeremiah, his descendants, will have the right to inheritance, the right to redemption. Why? Because they had purchased, that redemption had been purchased. And it had been subscribed. The legal document had been written out. And it was rolled up, and it was sealed, and it was put in an earthen vessel so that it would be available at the time when his relatives would have the right to claim it. All of creation is in captivity today. There's coming a day of redemption. Now I want us to turn what I believe to be the most powerful passage anywhere in Scripture. The thing that is the, the, the linchpin, the, the, the thing that's going to to bring about the final redemption of mankind and all of creation. Turn to Revelation chapter 4, if you would. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. And I want you to follow along very closely. John, you you know the story here. John had been boiled in oil. He was sent to Patmos in exile. And the Lord came and spoke to him and said, I want you to watch. And what you see, I want you to write. And so all of this over and over again, all throughout the book, John says, and I, John, saw. I saw this. This is what I saw. You know, with Israel... And the situation with Jeremiah, they saw it through the eyes of the prophet. And we're seeing it through the eyes of the prophet. But there's nothing that explains it as clearly for Jeremiah and his descendants as we have here. So look beginning in verse number 1. John says, And after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, They had on their head crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had the face as of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts, each of them six wings about him, and were they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Where have we heard that before? Isaiah. Isaiah had a vision, remember? And he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he described the very same thing. And and, and we mentioned before, the, the the defining character, the defining element of God's character is His holiness. And that's that's what they were saying. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Verse 9. And when those beasts gave give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before Him, that sat on the throne and worshiped him, that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. God made man to fellowship with him. That That was his plan from the beginning. It was for us to fellowship with him. And that was destroyed when Adam and Eve sinned and man fell into sin and creation was taken into captivity. Now look beginning in verse number one of chapter five. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. Now there's been a lot of discussion about what that book is. There have been a lot of people that have talked about a lot of different things. This is my personal belief. I think this is what the Bible teaches. I think the, the, the passage we read in Jeremiah makes it pretty clear. I believe that the book that he was holding in his hand was the title deed to the earth, which Christ purchased when he died on the cross. He paid the price. Jeremiah paid the price, however many shekels of silver. Jesus paid the price. The price was his blood. He paid the price when he died on the cross. The document was written and the evidence was sealed. And there were witnesses when he came out of the grave demonstrating that he had gained that victory. That's why it's important that people saw him after his resurrection and that document has been preserved for all of these years all of how, however long and it's waiting still to be opened by the one who has the right to open it now you say well wait a minute but man fell way back at the beginning and jesus just died 2000 years ago well uh Revelation chapter 8, I think it is. Is it chapter 8? Chapter 13, I'm sorry, verse 8 of chapter 13. It says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, Jesus didn't just die 2,000 years ago. In God's economy, the way God sees it, Jesus died before the foundation of the world. So it's been, he he purchased. You understand that God in his foreknowledge, in his omniscience, Mm -hmm. understood what was going to happen. And Jesus died from the foundation of the world. God lives in the eternal present. We don't. As we see things, it happened two thousand years ago. As God sees things, it today is the same as two thousand years ago. That's the same as before the time of creation. With God, He lives in the eternal present. Fifty thousand years from now, a million years from now, it'll still be today in the mind of God. So Jesus died from the foundation of the world. It was purchased before. The creation ever was taken captivity. He paid the price. He drew up the document, put it in a scroll, and sealed it with seven seals. And I believe that's the book that God is holding in his hand on the throne of God. Back to Revelation chapter 5. Verse number one, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and with, on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Who has the right to claim this property? That's what he's saying. Verse number three, had no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book neither to look thereon and look at verse 4 john said i wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon can you imagine what it would be like to know that that it's right there here's the title deed but there's no man there's not anybody around there's not there's not anybody there doesn't exist A person who has the authority, the right, to take that book and open the seals. Talk about a fatalistic view. Talk about a situation with no hope. That's what John was feeling. And the Bible says that he wept much. But then everything changed. Look at verse number 5. And I think this, to me, is the most powerful scene in Scripture. Verse number 5, And one of the elders saith unto me, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Thou art worthy. You're worthy to take the book, to open the, the seal and you are the one. Thou was slain and hast redeemed us by God. He has redeemed us and this is the final act of redemption. This is where he says, The creation is mine. And I'm taking it back. And we're going to we're gonna we're gonna get rid of all of this that is that is corrupt, everything that has been destroyed, everything that has been in captivity for all these years, it's gonna be gone. And in its place I'm gonna create a new earth and a new heaven. And I'm going to put it back and build it again as it was from the first. And what a wonderful day that's going to be. Turn to to Revelation chapter 21. We don't have to wonder what it's going to be like because the Scripture tells us very clearly. Verse 1 of chapter 21, John speaking and telling us what he saw. And I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth, were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And look at this next statement. And he will dwell with them. Back the way it was at the first. Adam and Eve walking in the garden with the Son of God, with the Lord, and fellowshipping with Him. It's going to be that way again for eternity. He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The captivity is over, and we are going to live again in the environment that God intended for man to live in from the beginning. That's that's what this book is about, from the beginning to the end. It's all about God's plan to take us from... Man's sin where man fell and and everything went into captivity to the time where he stands before the throne of God and he takes that book and he opens the seal and he says, this belongs to me. And I'm taking it back and we're going to put it back the way it was intended to be. You know, the only way That an individual has an opportunity to live in that environment is if they believe on Jesus Christ. They're willing to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. If You're here today and you don't know for sure that you've been redeemed. You're not certain that your sins have been forgiven. You don't have a relationship, a personal relationship with the Lord. all, All that's necessary is for you to believe. Just put your trust in Him. And he's promised that he will give you that salvation. Back in Revelation 21, I'm sorry, verse chapter 22, here it is. He showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life very same tree, I believe, that's been protected all these years from mankind in the, in the Garden of Eden. But on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of, of, sea, of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. No longer does Paul say the things that I would do I don't. And the things that I would not do, that, that I do. No longer am I going to fail to do what I know is right and then feel guilty about it and then think, what in the world is wrong with me? Because the curse will be gone. And, and, and there will be no more curse. But the throne of, the God, of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and His servants will serve Him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their forehead, foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light nor sun, for the Lord giveth them light. They shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. And then we come down to the end. The last thing said in Scripture. Chapter 22 Verse 18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of this book of his prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life and out of the holy city from the things which are written in this book. Verse 20, He which testifies. Who is that? That's the Apostle John. I'm telling you all the things I saw. And he said... I am saying, or, or, or Jesus, the, the, Jesus, Paul's writing the testimony that Jesus gave him. John is writing the testimony which Jesus gave him. But, uh, but, and he said, Jesus said, surely I come quickly. And John said, amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Are you looking forward to the return of the Lord? Man, I tell you what, the longer we go and the worse things get, the more eager I am for the Lord to return. What a wonderful, wonderful day that will be. Don't take your salvation for granted. Don't get to the place where you... you, you so many people today say, yeah, I'm saved, and then they it's, it's just kind of a thing. They marked it off, and now I'm saved. There's a lot more to it than that. And it's something to be treasured. And to appreciate and be grateful for, May God help us to understand all that's involved, and to be grateful for what God has done for us. Let's stand together, his by eyes closed.